Hi, this is Joanne, and you are listening to Sit in the Attendee's Chair. And with me today is also Steve, who you've heard from in prior podcast, and Kelly, um, all who work with me. And today we have a number of guests, and I'm going to start by having Tracy introduce or reintroduce, if you've heard some prior podcasts. Tracy, why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are? So I'm Tracy Baer. I am a CMP and a CFMP, uh, which is a certified faith-based meeting planner. Uh, I work with nonprofit organizations on their events, and I'm currently working with a megachurch outside of Chicago. Very good. Jamie. Hi, everyone. Jamie Smith here. I am a CMP. I feel like I need to get a few more credentials behind me, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because I like where I am. I uh, consider myself a recovering planner um, and now, and, right, uh, and uh, um, have been on the other side of the fence, as I like to say, the dark side of the fence mm. with avian production, right, as we all know how that can be fun, but yet helpful being partners. I work with a company called Choice Live out of Lidditz, Pennsylvania, and I work for my home office in Indiana. So thanks for having me. And if you've listened to some of the podcasts, both of them have been on uh, in the past, so you should be pretty familiar with them. And our big shining guest star today is Linda, and you watch, I'll pronounce her name wrong and then feel like a jerk, even though I've known her for quite a few years. Linda Robeson, right? You pronounce it at Robeson? Robeson. Damn. (laughs) You know, I went back and forth all morning and I was like, I think I pronounce it wrong. Um, So uh, anyway, okay. So Linda Robson, really, I do know this person. I really have had a conversation with her in past, but we never talk about last names. So what can we say? Linda is one of the top experts in our industry on risk Uh, among other things because she's approached it in a very uh unique way which i know you're not supposed to say very unique but we're going with it um linda herself is a very unique person and uh linda why don't you tell them a little bit or a lot about your background and how you got to where you are before we even jump into the topic of risk cool i can do that um i like anybody else over the age of about 35, fell into the industry. Uh, I was... <laughs> As we all sit here and shake our heads. <laughs> yes, we all have, yes. Except Kelly. <laughs> uh, we, I was, and even before there was a name for it, I, I was one of those people that always, if there was, a, there was something to organize, it was all me. I was all in. There was just something really attractive about that. So, you know, softball tournaments, any kind of sporting tournaments, any parties, all of that. It was always, I was always all over that. Um, And then I was working as, at the time, we were called secretaries. Now it's not politically correct to use that term. It's uh, an admin assistant. I've been hired I want to stop one minute there, right? When I read that in your biography, because I did not know that, I was so moved because I know how many people come through my CMP classes, how many listen to this podcast, that some who started out as secretaries, as yep. you said, there was that's what it was called then, yep. but so many others who have been or still are administrative assistants, executive administrative, yep. you know, and to hear that that's where you started, I think will mean the world to so <laughs> many people in terms of doesn't matter what your title is. It's what you know how to do and how you do it. So Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I mean, sorry. I, I, well, the way I started in this particular profession is I was hired part-time 
as a secretary for an environmental computer science academic because he was bringing in over a million dollars in grant money every year and he was terrible at doing the paperwork part. So he needed somebody to organize it. And so I was hired part-time to do that. Uh, and it, one of the stories I tell about this particular boss was for the first three months that I worked for him, I worked four days a week, eight hours a day, filing. I loathe filing. And that's what I had to do because he just, it was terrible. He had paper everywhere. So it was about six months in working for him. And he had gone to a conference, an international conference, and met uh, a German professor and an Austrian professor. And the three of them decided that they wanted to organize their own event. Um, and so they needed a conference secretary. So we're talking back in 1992, 93, that area. Um, actually, no, 94, because it was after my second son was born. Um, and so they wanted a conference secretary, and I was working for this one gentleman in Canada at the time, and they offered me the position. And I said to him, well, I've never done it. And he said, that's okay, you'll be fine. Um, and it meant a it meant a free trip for myself and my family to British Columbia. I'm like, cool, I'm in. Um, and I made so, so, so many mistakes during that first event that I planned professionally. But I was hooked because it's like a puzzle. Um, and so I, I then became the conference planner for this international environmental computer science conference, which sounds as thrilling it, it was as thrilling as it sounds um you know with international geeks i would spend days not knowing if i didn't understand them because they were speaking like a, a different world language or different geek language so but i mean we, i was fortunate enough to travel all over the world to be able to do these conferences and then september 11th happened and Every, there was such a focus on risk management for events, which honestly I didn't understand because none of the targets were event-based. But again, like I said, there was a big focus on it. And at this point, I was still in Canada. Um, my undergraduate degree is in English and history. And so I started to do, but I am the, the consummate geek. I have been an academic my whole, academia my whole life. I've always taken classes of some sort. Um, so I wanted to do research on what I needed to do for a risk management plan and could not find anything other than you should do one. Um, I'm going to second yeah. that because I just did uh, risk in the CMP class last weekend and I kept saying to them, after 9-11, everything changed. Contracts yeah. changed. Everything. Yeah. And they, one of the big messages was, you have to have a risk plan. Yeah. You have to, and it will sit on yep. your desk and you will do nothing with it, but you have yes. to have a risk plan and everyone was overwhelmed, so no one did anything. Right. Well, because there was no information on how right. to do it. It was just, you know, go do it. Yep. It's like, um, great, but how? They're like, oh, you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Could you, like, point me at something to get started? Um, so I did, I continued to do research. I went to a conference in D.C., that was for international conference planners. And I was the only non-American in the room. And they asked what people's top, so this was about three years after September 11th. 
and they asked what people's top risk was. And to a person, except me, everybody said terrorism. And I'm like, I plan a conference for academic environmental scientists. The only person they're in danger from is me, right? So it did, like it wasn't even in my top 20. And so that's when I really started to be interested in this idea of what is it, like why are people so afraid of terrorism? I understand why people are afraid of terrorism, but why was it such a big risk for all events? So I started going down that rabbit hole. Um, and then because the people that I worked with at the conference were all PhDs and PhDs can be snobs. Um, <laughs> and so because I had a bachelor's degree in English and history, even though these people had been dealing with me for like three, four years, they didn't think I knew anything. So my boss paid for me to go back to George Washington University and online do a master of tourism administration, which I focused on event management and destination management. And while I was there, one of my professors, who is one of the greatest people in the world, and he's the reason that I ended up in a doctoral program, we were, his name is Doug Freckling. He's one of the top international tourism researchers. Um, and we were sitting around after I'd finished my degree, I'd gone back for an alumni event. And he's like, so how's everything going? And I said, I'm bored because I'm not doing school anymore. And he said, well, you should go and do your doctorate. And I just went, yeah, sure, whatever. And he's like, no, no, I know a place, like I know a university near you that you can go do it. And he said, when you get home, you've got a week to do your application because I'm going to send a recommendation in. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So my youngest son jokes that I did my PhD because I was bored. And he's not really wrong. Um, <laughs> so I did, I went back to the University of Waterloo um, and was fortunate enough to have as my advisor, Steve Smith, who is another top international uh, tourism researcher and focused on, I was going to do my dissertation on the perception of terrorism in the, in the events industry. But when I started doing academic research, I realized that there was nothing on risk, risk perceptions. So that's what my dissertation ended up being is risk perceptions for conference planners. Um, and MPI was, was generous enough to, give me scholarships and give me access to membership lists. So I ended up surveying 300 event, event planners from Canada, the U.S. and the EU to come up with my dissertation research, which then turned into my risk management process over the years. So that was a very long-winded background of who I am. <laughs> no, but I think it's really important. One, because we always joke when someone's new on here, like, tell me your genealogy. Like, how'd you get to where you are? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have people who were, you know, nurses and engineers and a lot of liberal arts major, me included, yep. you know, that tripped in and fell into this. And yep. um no, so I think, and again, the the fact that you started out as a, quote, secretary will mean so much to so many people. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think your train of thought and, you know, for those of us who are old enough and were around when all these changes were going on and for younger people, you know, it's kind of this, wait, you mean we didn't always do it this way type thing? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's, it's good for everyone to know that. Yeah. So, moving on to your book, 
Yeah. How I'm going to open is one of your opening sentences or partial sentences was, is people are stupid. <laughs> yes. And that's the yeah. one she read to me. And I said, I'm going to read this book. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. People are stupid. Now I'm taking it out of contents but even if it was in yeah. context it Tracy pretty much showing that she's <laughs> highlighted that yes yes i did yeah. too i did too yes. so yeah. how about we launch from there because i think launch it's a, from there. this okay. is exactly why we need a risk plan correct um so and it's, it's yeah. funny because the students if you ask students when they're graduating so a phrase that is attached to me that's the one um, th that's what the students hear. It's people are stupid. So an individual is not stupid, but a group of people it, are stupid. And then when you add alcohol into uh. the mix, we reach le levels of stupidity that are astounding. Um, but it's, yes, people are stupid, but they're also, I think, um, the context of that is that in an event, people have assumed that things are safe. And so they'll do things. When people go to events, they suspend their reality, which is what we do at events, is we create an environment where people can suspend their reality for a certain amount of time, be it a corporate, an education event, or something that's social. Um, that's the idea, is that we're stepping out of our everyday lives for a certain period of time. And they will do things that they wouldn't, normally have done if they were in their everyday lives and roles and that's where that phrase people are stupid comes from because it's there a lot of times they're surrounded by people that they don't know so what's the harm in being an idiot right <laughs> like doing things that you wouldn't normally do so that's that's where that line comes from is that we as event professionals have to understand that people aren't thinking in the way that they would normally think in their day-to-day -day lives. And I think, you know, what you said about they assume everything is safe. And, and you know, I know we can all sit there and, and think about frustrations we've had with attendees not reading signs, not lining <laughs> up, standing in front of the motor coach, or walking behind one. Um, uh, you know, just all the different things they do. And I'm even thinking of one lawsuit that I'm aware of where, you know, they didn't want people to walk over this one particular corner because there was a lot of AV wires. They were all fastened down. You know, there were signs, there were barriers. And of course, the person walked through them and around them, right. fell, got injured, and the lawsuit was going on for a number of years. That's when yeah. you sit there and go, did you think I had that sign up for nothing, people? like, Well, that sign applied to everybody but them. That's the other problem is everyone always assumes they're the exception to rules. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, at least. Yeah. Again, all of these are where that phrase, people are stupid, comes from. You know, and one of the things that I'll talk to the students about is that a large part of why people get into events is not for the money. It's for the people watching. Because, <laughs> wow. Right? Like, wow. Sometimes you watch people and go, who reminds you to breathe? Like, wow. Jamie and Tracy, you can have your microphones on so we can hear you laughing too. I, I, I just have to comment. I mean, that that's a, that's a new one for why people get into it. We all know it's not for the money. I, I was dying at that one. But the fact of people watching, that that 
you know, it's like spot on. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Where you're standing in an event space, watching the event being executed and just watching these people going, holy cow, that's a new one. <laughs> How'd you make it here? Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. And that's how, that's how a lot of people write their books, right? The things that have happened, their stories that come out of it. It's never, yeah. po- okay. It's not never, it's not often that it's a positive story. It's a, yep. That's it's funny very, though. It's very funny. It's very funny. It's, and, again, and it's one of the be things able to look back on it and laugh. That's yeah. right. The beauty of it. <laughs> I, I tell the students, one of the best things about going to association meetings is that you're going to be in a, surrounded by a room of people who can tell you stories that you're going to appreciate because in our everyday lives, I mean, my sons from the time they were one and four traveled with me to events but they still, to a large degree, don't understand what it is I do. So <laughs> our friends and family <laughs> who don't do this are just a lot of times clueless. And to be able to go to an MPI meeting and be surrounded by people when I say, oh, yeah, this person decided that they were going to get up on the table. And I'm looking at you all now nodding your heads. It's like we all have seen that, right? So it's, it's, and they weren't in college and they weren't in college. No. (laughs) So yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things where you get to share the crazy or the stupid in the room that you've seen. The war stories is how I refer to them. You know, like, yep. Yep. No one, no one ever would believe it. Yeah. (laughs) You can't make, you can't make this stuff up. Right. <laughs> Maybe someone should start. Do it. Does anyone do a cartoon? We have blogs. We have podcasts. We have video <laughs> things. Someone doing a cartoon would be really excellent. Nothing. That would be amazing. It would. And, and you know those. Um, I'm blanking at the name of the artists that come to a lot of events that curate whatever the yes. picture is. That could be it. Maybe you just have them focus on the things that are going wrong. And then turn that into uh, maybe not do that next year. Yeah. Well, and they could do it as a sideline for their business. Someone find one of them, say this, this would sell a book full yes. of these would sell. There is yes. no doubt in my mind. Yes. So we've established that people, I, I know you wrote um, even before you said that and you just kind of reinforced it. Oh, sorry. I don't have, the, of course I don't have the page, but you know, here we go. Um, There's no way to create a risk-free environment. People come to events and people are unpredictable, or as I like to say, people are stupid. And I think, you know, that's another thing going forward and hopefully making it a little less intimidating to people is you can't, you can't. And I try to give that message all the time too. You can't create a risk-free, you know, you you focus on the big ones and and I know you're going to talk about that. And, you know, you just handle a lot of the, low probability, low consequence type of things, because that's what we do when we're at an event, whatever it may be. So um, I think that was one of the things that irritated me most when I started studying risk management is that there was there's so much focus on what we call the high consequence, low mm-hmm. probability um, like activities, like terrorism, like um, any kind of natural disaster and cards on the table. There's nothing we can do about that. And Like, not only can we not predict it, we do not have the skill set to be able to deal with it, on top of which a government or policing agency is going to take that over, and most times we're going to lose our event space. Like, we don't even have control of that because those are where the shelters are. So, it 
it's ridiculous in my opinion to be focused on that type of a risk versus the drunk idiot in the room. Just out of curiosity, before we go into, you know, your methodology and everything, what would you say like the two or three most common, what's the word I want, risk? I mean, I know it's about the possibility, but the ones that actually go through, is it people tripping and falling? Is it alcohol? Is it, um, what in your research did you find are like the most common things that meeting planners and venues and everything have to deal with? Like what really happens? Yeah. Um, trips and falls, definitely. And um, technology. Right. Technology, not having technology, as you can speak to, Jamie, not having technology can shut an event down. Um, yeah. Yes. And uh, the issues. I mean, the technical issues that happened before and the, right? the cursor of planning and rehearsing and speakers not being comfortable and, and you know, familiar. Yep. Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's a very good point, Linda. So I think for me, it is, it's trips and falls and technology. If you're looking at across all types of events, those mm-hmm. are probably the two that are most prominent. And then it really depends on the type of event. So we also have um, F&B issues because most events do have some kind of food. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you're, if the event does serve alcohol, then you have that issue. Uh, then you need to look at things like people's age and mobility, right? Who they are. Um, so it's hard to say that there's there are some risks that we can really see that go across events. But that's a lot of times that's the danger is thinking that we can blanket risks. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I talk about when I do my presentations is that the first time that you do, the first time that you use my model is going to take your time, right? And it should. Um, but after that, you will have done a section of risk identification and assessment that you can apply to other events, right? But you always need to make sure that you are thinking of the event and the different elements that are part of the event and customizing a risk management plan for each event you do. It doesn't mean that it has to be a brand new risk management plan every time, but you do have to make sure that you have synced it to the different components of the different events you're doing. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's it's like, especially if you know your audience and the same people or types of people are going to all your events. That's where the generalizations or the overall blanketing part and then getting down to the specific event and what's going on there or where is it going on um, causes you to individualize it a little bit more. And like you said, depends on the event. Like I love the part in your book and we will do this a little more orderly in a minute, but I loved how you talked about the children's event and how you got involved in it and how you'd been there as a mom with kids. Yep. There was so much good stuff in there, and I don't even have kids, and I thought it was good. Um, you know, just the thinking process. So yeah. where would you where would you like to go next? Do you want to do an overview? Do you want to go through a first step? You, you lead, we follow, kind of, sort of, maybe. And <laughs> this will probably end up being multiple 
podcast over the next year. <laughs> so, I mean, not what we're recording today. This is one you stay on, people. Um, they do. I, I can't believe it. They've stayed on some hour and a half ones. Um, what, what do you think is the, the most important thing? Uh, one of the things I know in your overview you talked about is it does need to be written down, people. Yes. You know, this can't all just float around in your head that something has to be written down, even if it's not complete at the beginning. Like you said, right. it's 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 a evolving, ever going something. And I even like the fact that you said, because I think about this back with 9-11 and things like that, and you have to print it out. You yeah. do need a tangible print version. And what yeah. was your logic on that? What did you say? Well, because technology doesn't always work. Right. So for something like for, for something like September 11th. Yep. Um, and even here in Boston, when they had the marathon bombings, they blocked the cell towers. That's the first I didn't thing know that, that. policing agencies do is block the cell towers. When you said that about so, the marathon, I was not aware yeah. of that. I knew about the whole New York City thing because all the yeah. towers crashed down. Um, yeah. But so now you have no technology. And even if they don't block the cell towers, how many people are trying to reach their loved ones? Right. So it's just if the power goes out, we're not even talking about a natural disaster, like something catastrophic. You could have a fuse blow in the venue that you're working in. And now you have no risk management plan. Great. <laughs> Great. And so I do. I've had people question me on this where it's like, well, you know, we should be going all to electronic. I don't disagree with using electronics at all. I don't just I'm not. Yes, I'm old, but I'm not that old um, that I refuse to. <laughs> our binders. We love our binder. binders. Yes. Yes. Tracy showing yes. her binders. And, yes. and Gotta have it. And and you know what? The 20-somethings get the binders, too. They're like, you know, they do. that's really. Yeah, binders it seems to be universal across all age yeah. groups. The we I, I don't know. We used to call it the Bible. Some right? Yep. Uh, yep, yeah, binder and Bible. Old, yep, the, yep. So the production binder or the or the Bible, and it's funny because one of my recent graduates is working at Endicott. They created a position for her as a special event, um, as a special event coordinator. Cool. And she actually came to see me the other day. She had done a trip to Florida, and she came with her pretty pink binder, and she's like, "Look, here's my binder." <laughs> it's like. Yeah, so she's like 25, same thing. It's, it's, but I think particularly for risk management, it needs to be printed out. Um, I know here in Salem for Halloween, they bring in police officers from the surrounding areas because we can get over a million people here in Salem during the month of October. For those of you who um, don't know that Salem, Massachusetts is yeah, in sorry. the witch world. Yes. So, um, yes, October gets yes. a little busy around there. It's Disneyland for goths. <laughs> um, and you want to talk about people watching, the best place to be in October is Salem, Massachusetts. Um, but they, I've spoken to a few police departments, and here in Salem, what they did, what they do is they bring in uh, police officers from a variety of surrounding areas because they just don't have the police force here. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they print out hard copies that the police officers carry with them that is like <clears throat> an agenda of what's happening during the day, um, where the hospitals are, and and their their risk management plan is printed out for them because it's not where they're from. So, yeah, it I think it's very important. 
And I think as an industry, the thing that we do worse than anything else is writing things down. And also communicating it, disseminating that information, that yes. next step that everybody knows where that paper Correct. is. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, we keep the post-it note industry in business. <laughs> right? And if you want to do it all by post-it notes, that's wonderful because at least you've written something down. Um, and one of the biggest dangers of not writing it down and, to your point, Jamie, disseminating it is what if you, as the risk manager, are in the middle of the manifested risk? Yeah. Right? What if for some reason you can't be there? Now you have nothing. You got hit by that bus. Right. Because you you went out chasing an attendee. You tried to pull that attendee away from following the bus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that's true. And, you know... um, I think about that a lot that I've been to a couple things where, you know, okay, the key person who would lead the charge, who would have all the information, they suddenly can't because they're part of the issue. So what are people going to do? And, you know, you also reminded me, and I hadn't thought about this, so I'm really glad you said this. Um, Linda, you might remember it. I don't know if Tracy and Jamie will or not, because it's been over 15 years ago. It might have been 20 years ago. There was a fire in one of the hotels in Las Vegas, and everyone had to evacuate. Thank God it wasn't a horrible, horrible fire, but they had to all evacuate. So I remember reading the article follow-up with the meeting planners, and one of the things that happened was they got out there, and I forget if they remembered to take their computers or not, but they didn't have lists of all their attendees what rooms they were staying in, and how to reach them. Why? Because it was on the computers. Yep. And they had to leave everything. You know, when there's a fire, whatever, you leave everything. So, like, hotels came forward and offered to, you know, house different parts of the thing, but they didn't know how to reach them to tell them, you're now staying in this hotel. And I've had people go, because I would share this for years, and people would go... (laughs) That doesn't matter. It's all on the cloud now, or it's now all on the, you know, company drive or, or whatever yeah. it is. But you're saying this, and I'm thinking, yeah, and you may not be able to get into the cloud or get into your company server because of technology um, going down, you know? What about the, the simple oh, yeah. fact of your battery goes dead, right? Yeah. It doesn't even have to be something catastrophic. Your battery goes dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, as Steve was just saying, um, one of our friends, Marianne, she was just doing a, a meeting in Dallas two weeks ago, to, and they all were evacuated to the parking garage because of the tornadoes. Oh, you know? And, uh, but yeah, so, you know, paper is not our enemy. There are times that at least you know you've got it. Do not, And I know it's impossible to think, but I remember all the towers going down after 9 11 mm-hmm. and, and everything. Yeah, you may not be able to get into a drive. You may not be able to get into the cloud. And if you need right. to reach your attendees, you need phone numbers. You need... Go ahead. So on your way out of the room, do you grab your computer or your binder? Binder. <laughs> binder. Binder. Okay. Yeah, we're all like, I binder. Can only, I can only take one I, thing. I actually don't grab either. I'm just getting my happy ass out of here. We'll figure it out later, right? Yeah. 100% of the time, I can find it in my binder before you can find it on your phone or your computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the phones aren't big enough to be able to scroll through. Uh, again, if and God forbid I don't have my glasses with me. 
Now there's no way I can read it on my phone. Like there's my arms are not long enough to be able to read stuff on my phone anymore without my glasses. So, yeah. But yeah, it's another version of a backup that we, yep. you know, we don't talk about. And, you know, back to which do you grab walking out? I remember um, I used to teach when I would teach shipping for the CMP exam and everything. And we'd say, you know, one version of shipping is hand carrying. And we would come to the agreement that you carry that binder on that plane. You lose your personal luggage before you lose your binder. You know, it's just like that can be replaced. Your binder cannot. And it's, you know, I think one of the things we're having, and hopefully some people who've been in the industry a little less than us, you know, understand, no, there is there is a reason things should be printed at times. Yep. It, it's your, maybe it's your last safety net, yep. but it's a big one if you're talking about how to get hold of all your attendees yeah i i typically so i would have the binder as well in the the event office that the hq i would have that the whole production binder would be in there but i always had a clipboard um and on the clipboard was the risk management plans in terms of um like what i call the action plan so if a risk manifests what do i do um, so I always had that on the clipboard and I also always had the list of attendees and their contacts on the clipboard. So that, I mean, we just joked, what do you pick up your computer or your binder? I had a clipboard that was attached to, to my arm. Yeah, you did a drilled down version of your binder, kind of. You did. did like the most important things right yeah. then. Because again, if if I'm standing, if I happen to not be in the office and somebody's asking me a question, I can just flip through this and yep. it's got, it usually had like the program on it, um, like the same program that the attendees had. It had some of the action plans that I needed um, and then it had the list of the attendees. Makes sense to me. We're not just old people. We just, you know, there are actually rationale behind why we still, I mean, all of us, I know, use technology a lot. Um, it's not that we're afraid of it or anything like that. It's just you have to know your time and place. Um, one of the other things I know you talked about in there was communication and using the headsets, the radios. Yes. yes. And one of the things I've told people, well, you tell why, and then I'll tell you what I'm hearing from people. Okay. It's funny. They're becoming in again. Yeah. So the the radios, so I'm, again, part. so part of why... I focus on non-technology, like non-cell phone options, is technology and I don't have a great relationship. Um, if it's going, if something's going to go wrong with technology, it's always going to happen with me. That being said, there are just, it, it's just not as reliable as some of the older forms of being able to communicate. So walkie-talkies is what I used to call them, but the radios that go on your belt. Um, those are probably the most effective and reliable ways to communicate. Having that on your belt, if you're in a large crowd and people are talking, you wouldn't necessarily hear when somebody's calling you on the radio. And the other side of that is what if somebody comes over the radio and says fire and you don't have a headset on? Now everybody around you has heard the word fire yelled through the, through the radio. That's a great way to start a panic. Um, so that's why I'm a big fan of the radios with headsets. You're going to make sure that you hear any communication. Um, you're going to make sure that other people don't hear it so that there's not, you're not 
inciting panic. Um, and for risk management, you'll have the radio for the overall execution of the event. But if there's a risk management issue that needs to be dealt with, then you switch to a different channel. And you, the people who are involved in, in executing the risk management plan would be on a separate channel. And who doesn't love to feel like, um, you know, secret service with an ear thing? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're totally bringing my, my recovering planner life when I would, back in the day when radios were in, that's what we did. I loved them. And absolutely. Yep. <laughs> but I think you brought up so many points and, you know, like I talk to people about cell phones frequently don't work in parts of a building, yep. you know, so if you depend on it uh, like that. Um, but what I'm beginning to hear, you know, because I, I got a lot of grief from people in classes and everything. And a few years ago, <laughs> just a few years ago, someone said to me, who is younger than I am, and uh, they said, oh, we're starting to use the radios and the headset. She says, they're wonderful. Your hands are free. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. But yeah, if your cell phone, if you're always having to have your cell phone, she said, they are great. No, we're using them entirely. And it's like they're getting excited, kind of like binders again. And, yeah. you know, and the other thing is I tell people is the way, and I don't understand the technology part of this, but I know the frequencies are geared specifically for that building. Yeah. So you never have to worry that you're somewhere in the building and you will miss something like you do with your cell phone. The and cement that walls. Any cement walls in a in a com, uh, convention center or in older hotels, they they can block the cell the cell reception. Yeah, I always say the buildings that still have the yellow circles with the black triangles that were the bomb shelters, and there are still yep. some yep. around. You see them, and nothing goes through those walls. No. Absolutely nothing. Well, um, and a more practical piece of the cell phones is it's not like you're providing cell phones to all of the staff that's working. You're asking them to work use their personal cell phone. So tell me that they're not getting messages, texts, phone calls that are not related to the event. So now they have to sort through those. Good point. The clutter of those as well. So yeah, again, I, I'm i a big fan of let's make this as simple as we can so that we make sure that we have the communication. And the other part of the communication is having more than one system. So I talk about using the radios with headsets, but I also talk about using what we call runners. And these are the young people with fresh legs. Um, it is 100% not me, ever. Um, and you actually, so you write down a message on a piece of paper and you hand it to this person that's designated as a runner and you tell them to take it to this other person. And the reason you write it down is because if they're running, when they get there, they might be out of breath, they might have forgotten part of the message, so they're handed a message that they can now read. So, I, you know, we don't want to have to use runners, but what if the radios aren't working? Right? We still, to your point, Jamie, we have to be able to communicate with each other. Even if there's not a risk that's manifesting, just for like general execution of an event, we have to be able to communicate with each other. Yeah, I like that in the the book. I hadn't really thought of designated runners, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's... Like, I'm not saying I've never told someone to go do that, but it's like, I, but again, having everything figured out in advance. Tracy and Jamie, ask Linda some questions. I'll be quiet. 
we're not necessarily following any order right now, but I think it's still a good conversation. So who needs order, right? right. Um, Jamie and Tracy, maybe share some of your war stories or things you've done. And Tracy, have at it. I'll let you go first. I, I normally talk so much on these podcasts. I'm trying to pull back a little bit for <laughs> Well, going back to the write it all down. Um, sorry, excuse me. One second. Jump in there, Jamie. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Um, help helping her get through that. Um, I, I mean, you, you've brought up so many things that are like flashbacks. And I know I said earlier, as I, I led into this, that I'm a recovering planner. I, it's like, it's in my bones. It yeah. was my favorite thing, right? You know, falling, as you guys talked about it, falling into the industry and, and learning as we go. I mean, I was technically in the industry right before 9-11, but I really wasn't planning then. So we kind of going back to that point of how was it any different before then, right? You right. know, we were working on risk risk plans or at least yeah. talking about it. And like, I love it. It's almost like sustainability. It comes and uh-huh. then it goes back and then you have an issue and then you focus on again, right? It's it's bringing it back up. And and I love that you're you're here telling us about this and I cannot wait to read the book and, you know, share with others and just kind of, of course, right, communicate yeah. other ways of doing things. You know, I, I honestly don't believe uh, some of the research that I came across was people saying, oh, event professionals don't have risk management plans. And I'm going to call bullshit on that. Correct. There's not one of us that didn't think about risk. I think yeah. that what we normally thought about was people risk, which is legit, right? People have to be the first thing that we worry about because we can't replace them. But I think the perception of event professionals not having risk management plans is because we don't write things down. But I don't believe for a second that any person who is a legit event professional did not have a risk management plan from the second they started doing events. Yeah, you plan for the worst and hope for the best, right? Right. Like that's kind of our motto in, in, in the events industry. And it's just a matter of okay, pulling together all of the things that have happened to kind of keep in your mind and, right. and write down, okay, this may happen to us. So let's make a plan for it. Let's have that tree, you know, the the phone tree of who to call to, you take this, you take that, depending upon whatever it is. I mean, you're yeah. exactly right. So Tracy, um, how many months ago was that? Five months ago, you did your big, let's go pick apples with no you didn't have the apple orchard where were you taking thousands of people oh yeah the tulip field <laughs> yes we had seven thousand people in that tulip field except we got rained out <laughs> are you saying tulip field field yeah tulips okay. like like tulips like holland yeah we were in a tulip apples the tulips were well there it's there is an orchard in the same farm uh, but we were on the tulip field side yeah and um for three days we planned this big thing and then got rained out but talk yep. about some of the risk factors because you have, for example, kids at yours and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, just what are some of the things you have to think about? Your events are a little different than a lot of the, like the corporate planners mm-hmm. and things like that. Yep. So, um, like, especially at the church on the weekend, we'll worry about uh, active shooters. We have to worry about lost children. We worry about lost parents because that's different. You have the kid and no parent. You could have the parents and no kids. Um we could d- definitely worry about trip and fall. Um, we have a medical emergency at least once a month. At um, the church? Yeah. Because it's just, you know, you have that many people in a room. Yeah. 
it's bound to happen. Yeah. Uh, technology all the time, you know, because we are, are broadcast based. You know, we broadcast out to five campuses and online. There's, you know, definitely um, technology issues. So we have, you know, what we what we can do is what we always do. You know, like the risk is mitigate the risk as much as possible. Yep. You know, think about what we can do. We've got safety team in place. We've got, you know, marked and unmarked security around. We've got redundancies on our technology, internet. We have radios. We've got repeaters. Like, you know, everything that we can do to... to um, what about the lost parents? We have plans for that. They're on our radios. We have Everybody's got a different channel for that. There's code names for that. We have code Adam for that. Um, and there's a way they practice it. Um, our kids' world, they practice what happens when that happens so that they are ready you know just like evacuation we practice that as well because we're in a tornado area here you know so we don't want to get caught off guard and the uh, kids world department does a great job of that like they're they tell the parents this is going to be a weekend we're practicing and they're going to run those cribs outside make sure that they know how to do that you know it's it's you have to practice it not only writing it down that's where i was going with that not only writing it down you have to practice because yeah. it, it has to become second nature Otherwise, you're going to be like, okay, where in the binder? Where in the binder? Right. And it, by then, you could, you know, have another thing coming up, you know. So, yeah, it's got to be practicing, too. Um, yeah, muscle memory is a huge one. Yeah. Yep. Um, I was uh, working as a surgical nurse for several years before I did this. And um, when I started working in the events uh, at the church uh, in 2007, there was nothing, no emergency plans at all. I'm like... The first day I started, there was a tornado and they had to go to a, a shelter. They took us to the biggest, openest room, most open room. I'm like, this cannot possibly be where you go. They're like, well, we really don't know where to go. I'm like, well, this isn't it. Let's find a bathroom. And so after that, I spent years trying to put all of their safety procedures in place because there wasn't anybody watching the risk. I mean, we could have lost a bunch of staff, sucked out the you know roof if the tornado actually came by. So uh, risk management for me has always kind of been um, in my foreground just because I've worked so hard to get the church, especially to the place where it had something in place yeah. to help mitigate these things. Well, and if you were trained as a nurse, unfortunately, you saw many end results of what happened when these things actually do happen. Probably not a lot of risk associated with intoxicated people in her field. <laughs> It depends if her church not, allows not, alcohol or not. No, not no, we don't. So okay. not not that much. But you know, but people I, are still stupid. Well, yes, that is, that is not not uh, yes. event specific. Yes, or alcohol like specific. Said, how do you breathe? I, I often say, how do you? Does somebody tell you to eat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the joke that I used to have with my sons is, you know, that person has a little tape recorder behind their ear that says, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. So yeah, that was, I mean, Tracy, when you were talking about having to create all of this, these things, that was really, I mean, I've been interested in doing research for a variety of different things, um, but if I if I was to pick one thing that really put me on my path to doing this, it would be when I was doing my doing my master's, and I thought I was being so smart. As um, a capstone, what we had to do is um, plan an event that we didn't have any previous experience with planning and have somebody that would be able to supervise you. 
And it was difficult for me to find because at that point I'd been working in the industry for a few years. And so there wasn't really anything that I could find that I hadn't done that I could have somebody supervise. But I had been involved with, uh, back in Canada, the Acton Fall Fair, the very small town I come from. And the Agricultural Society puts on this fair every year. And they have this, and Joanne mentioned this earlier with the kids event, they have something called an education day. And I'd been to it with my sons. Um, it had been running for 15 years. And I thought to myself, look at how smart I am, self, that I'm going to take over this event that I'm familiar with that's been running forever. This is going to be so easy, right? Like it's going to be such a breeze to do this assignment. Oh, my God, was I wrong. There was no documentation, like absolutely zero documentation <laughs> on it. And I was like, what the hell? Because, and when I, when I talked to the woman that had done it previously, she's like, yeah, you'll get anywhere between 700 and 1,500 kids to come. And I'm like, well, how, like, how do you know? She's like, well, you don't until they show up. And they'll show up somewhere between 10 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. I'm like, well, how do you plan the program? She says, you just have activities that they can just, like, do. Like, so there's no record of who's on and it's outside in September in southern Ontario in a park surrounded on three sides by water and no <laughs> buildings that you can use and I'm like what have I actually gotten myself into like holy cow and then the cherry on top is that the staff were high school students that were doing it for volunteer hours when I read that, that you only had 20, I was like, huh, 20 <laughs> yeah. volunteers for up yeah. to 1,500 kids? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It could be up to 1,500 kids. Right. So between 700 and 1,500. 20 for 700 kids is still not yes. enough. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when they're high school kids doing it, and there's no way for me, like, I only got to meet with them the night before. So there was no opportunity really for training. Yeah, I, I thought I was going to lose my mind. And yet, now we know why you know the things that you know and the things that you share. It's yeah. perfect. It was yeah. meant to be. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's probably the, if I look to a pivotal point in my life, that's the one that really put me on my journey to do risk management because I created this risk management plan. The first thing I thought of was, what the hell? You have nothing. Like, you have no way to figure out if a kid is lost, what to do. And we're surrounded on three sides by water like what is going on with you people why why right people are, people are stupid people are stupid <laughs> well we haven't had anyone drown yet i, I love reactions like that it's never yeah, happened yeah. you know it's like well, no actually the reaction i got when i mentioned that was like oh you had noticed that there's water everywhere you this, this, this in 15 years going on for 100 years in well, the same location right like and that, wow that individual is smart because they would think people wouldn't be putting themselves at risk right you know you right why, why would, would you they why would these kids between yes. the kids and that was the other part the kids as long as they had a parent with them anybody could come in it was open so you didn't even have to be in school. You could be, parents could be bringing a newborn. As long as there was somebody who was more than 18 with the kid, they could come on the fairgrounds. Um, and so, yeah, it was like, great. 
And having been a chaperone for my kids to go to this event, you show up, I show up at the school that day, I'm going to be a chaperone, that's great, I show up, I get my kid and three others that I don't know. Hmm. And now we're going to walk over to this park and I have, I'm responsible for these four humans, three of whom I'm not really sure. I like, I may not, I may or may not know them. And And, please tell me they had some kind of release and indemnification form. No. Oh, I don't. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm just always optimistic that someone thought of that. anything? No, No clue. I barely knew their names, never mind anything else about them. Is there a success on the other side? Like, how's that, how's that working now? Do you know? Like, are they? So it's funny because the, the risk management plan, because I was like, oh God, I need something. Um, so I created this. That's what in the, in the book, that's the action plan is based on that event the first time I ran. Um, and it's focused on a lost kid and how to go through the process of a kid is lost. And this is, again, this is back in the day before we had cell phones, right? So we didn't have a list of the kids. We didn't have anything. So what do we do? Um, And again, I have 20 high school students that have to help me find this lost child uh, who could be in the water. Um, And so it was something that, that that particular action plan I created and I created a bigger risk management plan and documentation for the whole event. And what happened is that the next year, so where I lived in Canada, there was this town called Afton, and then there were two other smaller towns called Georgetown and Milton, and they made up a, a, a township called Halton Hills. So the three towns all had fall fairs, one right after the other, three weekends in a row. Um, and ours was the second And what happened is after that year that I did that and I submitted it because I reached out to the police and the the, um, first aid and uh, St. John's ambulance and all of that stuff. And I submitted the documentation to them. And the next year they started requiring that type of documentation from all three events for the permits and licenses to be granted. So, so yes, there was a success. And, but again, for me, that was, First of all, it was a, oh, crap. Um, like, what am I? What have I done? What have I done? Uh, but then going through the process of it was just such a cool process that at the end of it, I felt so satisfied with the end product. And, it's, and again, things went wrong. <laughs> all kinds of things went wrong. But it was, we were all in a risk management frame of mind, which is what my process focuses on. Instead of being reactive, we're proactive. We've thought about the event and anything that could potentially bite us in the ass prior to stepping foot on site. And then we're in this risk management frame of mind, so we're more prepared. It's similar to what you were talking about, Tracy, with the doing the training, doing the muscle memory work. It's there. And so when something else happens, you have this documentation that you can adapt and you're not afraid because that, that binder becomes like a blankie, which is the other reason I really am a big fan of having things printed out because now I'm standing, my volunteers who are high school students have a piece of paper in their hand that says, go to the door, turn it to the right, 
push it open, right? So if they're panicked, they've got this security blanket of here is a step-by-step what I need to do. So that's that's the whole process. You know, I think uh, just to build on that part too, I'm thinking, you know, how many times do we pick up our phone when something's going on and we can't remember why we picked up our phone and are we trying to get to contacts, phone numbers, look something up on the web, but with the binder, you'll just start flipping through until something hits you and you go, oh yeah. You know, and this that has nothing to do with age, people. This has to do with a lot <laughs> of things. Going on. Yeah, I mean, your your <clears throat> brain is being yeah, it's stress. It's you know, so having something that you can look at until you trigger what you're looking for can be yeah. very helpful because your mind is going twenty five different places at the same yeah. time. It's also really important because um, there's really no way to test how somebody. There's no ethical way to test how somebody's going to react in a crisis situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you have a sense of how they would react, in a different situation, they could react differently. So it's that's the first part of the risk management model is that personal, excuse me, that personal risk assessment is really like... Talk about that right now. And let's let's make that part of today. I know we're going to turn this into like a six-part series the way we're going. Works for me. Because we'll never run out of things and there's so many. But I thought I never would have thought of any of that. So talk about that personal, you know. Okay. Yeah. Personal risk perception. So when I was doing my research, most of the risk management stuff started at risk identification. Right. How do you identify a risk if you don't know how you feel about risks? So it's what the psychologists call your risk tolerance or your acceptable risk level. Um, And everybody has one. And But you don't know what it is until you've really kind of sat with yourself and figured it out. So, and I also talk about the idea there's, there's a difference between a fear and a phobia. A fear is when you're presented with a threat in the moment. And it's your, it's your emotional and physiological reaction to a threat in the moment. Happens to everybody. It's totally normal. A phobia is irrational. It's when you are afraid of something at the thought of it. So, for example, I have a snake phobia. Um, I, when I was younger, I was playing catch with my sister and I missed the ball and I went to pick it up. And as I was down on hands and knees to pick it up, a little garter snake popped up and bunked me on the nose. Um, and so I have ever been afraid of snakes since then. I, if I hear so, we've all probably all heard the story of the, the snakes that get, people have them in their apartments and they end up in the toilets, yes. right? So as I'm standing here, sitting here talking about this today, that's going to be in my head now. I do have techniques to manage my phobias, um, but I'm aware of this fact. So it was, a, I guess, about four or five years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. I was at the special event, TSC, mm-hmm. and I, had bought, I hadn't bought tickets to go to one of the special events in the evening because I, I was speaking the next day and I wanted to be rested and ready to do that. I get a text from a friend saying, it's a good thing you're not here. And I texted her back, said, love you too. <laughs> and she came back with, no, they have boa constrictors here. 
I, those tickets were $200. I would not have been able to stay in the room, right? Like it wouldn't have mattered. I, I know all the logic. I know mm-hmm. all the logic about the danger of snakes. Doesn't matter. <laughs> that emotional part of me is, is that's a hard pass. So, um, and in fact, one of my that very best parenting stories illustrates my uh, snake phobia. I was with my youngest son. We'd gone to, to breakfast. We walked out of the diner, started walking down the street. I looked up and some guy is walking towards me with a boa constrictor on his neck. I stopped, grabbed my son and put him between me and the snake. I have two kids. I had one to spare. <laughs> I could tell you that it's because I knew he's not afraid of snakes. That's not the truth. The truth is that I have, when it comes to phobias, I have a freeze reaction. I cannot move. And I'm in my head screaming. And I know I need to move and I can't. And you cannot logic me. Right? So it's, again, it's understanding those things. I also had, um, growing up, my oldest sister had a very severe nut allergy um, and it would trigger her asthma and it was so bad that if you had some something to eat with nuts and touched a surface and she touched the same one and touched her skin wow. she would have a reaction and you had five minutes to get her to the hospital and this was back in the day before EpiPens so I had um, I have several memories of a kid as a kid laying and my sister's five years older than me um, she's, I'm in the backseat of the car. She's laying with her head on my lap, turning blue. And I'm trying to encourage her to just keep breathing. So I have a fairly good understanding of how I react to different situations, right? Which makes a difference if I'm on site. One of the things that I'll tell the students is I have two grown sons. They're 31 and 28. One of them is like six foot four or five. So he's like four or five inches taller than me. My other son is about an inch shorter than me. Um, But if they're on site at an event and something goes wrong, I will be useless. I have to get to them. So in that situation, I cannot be the risk manager. I cannot implement any risk management plans. So that's the reason that I focus on this idea of your personal risk perceptions. It's knowing what my strengths are, what my challenges are, and being honest about it, that if it's anything, so any kind of injury that has to do with eyes or fingernails, creep me out. I can't do anything with it. Broken bones, I'm fine. Spurting blood, I'm fine. But fingernails and eyeballs, I, I can't. I, I can't do it. I'm going to be useless. So it's, it's that focus, and you have to start there to know what you can and cannot do. It also helps you understand that as you go through my model, I know where my biases are. Right. So if it's an outside event because of my snake phobia, even if it's in the winter, I'm going to be looking for snakes. <laughs> so I'm acknowledging that and then I'm moving on. So that's where that comes from. Well, and I love the idea that you can assign people to areas where you can put someone else out with the snakes who isn't going to, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it would be by water. 
I'm much better than I was, but what fear of water is huge for me, partially because yep. I never learned how to swim. Please, I know, I know, I know, I know I should know how to swim, but it just, Whatever. you know, didn't happen. But anything, like I lived in a house with a huge in-ground pool as an adult, and every time every child came to my house to swim, I was a mess because I couldn't yep. understand how this two-year-old could jump into the deep end and swim and I couldn't save them. They didn't need right. to be saved. But it's, it's it's been overarching. It's influenced so many decisions. I'm much better than I was when I was younger. But I would try never to put me near a water perimeter to right. be the one in charge. Because I literally couldn't help them. You know? Well, and it comes down to a, it's not good or bad. Right. It's just recognizing what you can and cannot do. Right? And so... You know, the fact that you have a fear of water, that's not a bad thing. Right. It's just knowing right? it and planning. You just a, have to know it, and you cannot be the person that is responsible for that. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, uh, and you talked a lot in here, you know, like you said, the fears and the phobias and even things like you use triggers in a different way. But now we talk more, especially as we talk more about neurodiverse and everything like that. <laughs> That there are triggers, there's emotional triggers for people yeah. that we have to look at, and that could, could, you know, those flashbacks to something that happened yeah. prior in their life, or or something that we need to be aware of too, as we're thinking of risk. And you know, I was reading the other day about, you know, I know a lot of the emergency vehicles now, for example, do not put on sirens unless they have to. They'll have the lights, and even sometimes not the lights. And I was reading the other day that a, a parent here in um, Massachusetts had worked with their local police department because they have a child who is neurodiverse and reacts to certain things. And it ended up in a confrontational thing. The cops stopped the person. I don't have any idea what they were doing now. I don't remember. They're like 18, 19. It escalated because the cops didn't really, police officers, sorry, didn't really realize what they were up you know what was going on and right. so what the parents did was they sat down and probably had some other people involved in writing a manual type thing and doing training to show the first responders this these are things to look for these are right. things that will trigger and escalate the situation even more i thought that was awesome yeah and they were thrilled to have it because we only know what we know you know and and right. when they walk into a situation they're trying to assess a million different things at the same time and maybe that's something we need to look at too as we talk about neurodiverse and risk mm -hmm. is do we know how to like someone who we think of and please know people i am definitely saying this with finger quotes around it normal people should react whatever right. they are at this point, but we know we have neurodiverse people at meetings and events, and we all have our fears, our phobias, and so maybe we need to think about that. I don't know, Linda, you're the expert on risks. Is this something we need to start taking into consideration also? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. In the book, I focus on the three reactions that people will have, that flight, fight, or freeze. So, um, and understanding your responses as well as what potential attendees' responses could be. So when it's a phobia, particularly snakes for me, I have a freeze response. And as I said, you can't logic me. At that point, if there is danger and I am in my freeze mode, 
the only thing you can do is put hands on me and physically move me, right? Like, you can't stand and try to logic with me. There's nothing getting through. The, the voices in my head are screaming so loud that you can't get through to me. You are going to have to put hands on him. If somebody has a fight mode, which I also have a very high fight mode if it's not phobia-based. So my fight mode will kick in if there's a threat. I immediately tense and I'm ready. Again, I'll stop and I'll face whatever's coming towards me. And my first reaction is to fight it, where other people's first reaction is flight. So when we think about those things, if we have to evacuate a space, we've got three different reactions that are going to be happening, right? And the people that are helping us execute an event are going to have to, and execute a risk management plan, are going to have to be aware of that and be able to identify that. And so to your point, Joanne, if we've got these neurodiverse people in the room, that adds a whole other layer, Mm -hmm. right? Of what do we do? So... And I mean, I know you, you did the air quotes with the normal. I don't think there is such a thing as a normal person. Right. So we all are who we are and we react the way we do. And it's not right or wrong. It's just a matter of as the event professionals, we are responsible. We're responsible for the stupid in the room. We're responsible for the safety of the people in the room as long as we don't put ourselves at risk. Right. So, again, one of the things I'll talk to students about is if there's a fire and there's a fire extinguisher, your job is not to be the firefighter. Your job is to clear the room. Right. If you want to use the the fire extinguisher to clear a path. Great. As soon as you get everybody out of there, get out. Right? Like, don't stay and fight the fire. That's not your job. Yeah. Right. And that's not what it's for either. Correct. Strategically placed so that you can get out the door. Right. They're not to stay and fight the fire. Right. You know, on a side note with fire extinguishers, years ago when I still worked in colleges, I think we'd had a series of weird fires, like we had the computer lab go up and everything. But one of the things they did, and I think every single individual should do this, again, not to fight the fire, but fire extinguisher is only as good as you know how to use it. And they actually took us out with the fire department and taught us how to use a fire extinguisher. I did not know the things. I don't think most people do. You're shooting it at the fire. No, you're shooting it at the base of the fire. But no, you know, and they were saying most people grab a fire extinguisher, but what they do is not what they need to do. Either they need to get the hell out of there or again, you know, at least know how to use it. How does it feel? How does it, you know, yep. how do you pull the plugs? How do you, you know, everything? So, and you keep know, in mind that you might be panicked when you're trying to do it. So even though it seems simple, yeah. in a panic situation, you're looking at it going, uh. <laughs> you know, that would be an. Sure that you need because if it's an electric yes. fire, you yes. may not need it. And fire they did that. Rest. They walked us through all the different kinds: the water, the CO two. Yep. The ones for electrical fires, I forget what it was, and it may have all changed. But, you know, that's actually a very cool thing that an organization or some of our professional associations, to me, that would be a really valuable part of an education session. I teach it in my risk management class. I have a whole section on different types of fires and fire extinguishers and, you know, talking to them. If it's it's an oil fire, do not throw water on it. Right. Right. Put a lid on it, throw salt on it. And they're like, wait, what? Like salt is awesome, 
yeah salt and baking soda they're awesome yeah i guess i knew that from cooking but yeah, yeah. that's so but okay even, so you were mentioning the fire extinguishers in in the college the next interesting i guess challenge to that working in a college i noticed the same thing is that you know where i i always look at where my entrances and ex- exits are all of them i also look at anything that's safety related so i under- i know where fire alarms are i know where fire extinguishers are the interesting thing that i've noticed at my college is that the fire extinguishers are in a locked box and they have to be because college students if you don't are going to play with them I know where the keys are, but it's not, it's because I went looking to find out where the keys were. Um, other people have no idea, right? And so when I talk to the students about it, I talk about having one of those utility tools with them on site, right? Where if you can't find the person that has the key to open it, you've got this that you can bang it on the glass and break the glass. Mm-hmm. And it's also got that zip tie on it. So now you have a knife to, to cut the zip tie, right? So it's on-site tools that you need to be able to make sure that you can do what you need to do. I remember after 9-11 when they banned the box cutters. You couldn't yes. carry and 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 everyone else in the world was going, who would carry a box cutter on a plane? <laughs> and we're all like... No, we live for them. So, yeah, yeah. thank you so much. Okay, so... Hopefully we got people think, I think we covered a lot of different ways to think. And, you know, we at least started talking about your, you know, methodology and how you got there and some great examples. We know we can't do this all today. So I'm really seeing this as, you know, us doing some in the future. And I know Meg, who was from the hotel, who didn't get to be on it, will be very happy. She's this morning, she's like, risk my favorite topic and i'm like yeah i don't hear too many hoteliers say that but okay let's go Uh, i knew you were my girl um so hopefully for those of you who um are listening that you did walk away with if nothing else opening your mind viewing risk in a lot of different ways you may not have thinking about it not be beating yourself up because you don't have the end-all be-all planned you know like linda said it's a lot about understanding the concepts and the framework around it and how to apply it to any and then specifying it maybe i'm putting words in your mouth but this is how i interpret it both what you said today in the book um and and i anyone who's ever sat in my class knows that that's the way i think anyway concepts they apply to more than one thing not just you know uh not just one particular situation so um linda why don't you tell them in case they're interested in uh looking at your book and just so you know and i i'm gonna i'm gonna embarrass myself to a certain degree by say this linda shared her book with me actually ironically right before the pandemic and said you know here i'd like you to read this okay you'd think in all the pandemic time i would have read it and i didn't and i finally figured out why it was it wasn't that i didn't think it was going to be good it wasn't that i didn't think it was be interesting i just kept envisioning this huge book and i'm the kind that once i'm in it i gotta read it to the end no matter what 
Well, if I had just opened the file, I would have <laughs> discovered it was 49 pages and um, I, I was not getting on this podcast without having read it. <laughs> and I did. I read it this morning. We're, we're recording this in the afternoon. And it is an extremely easy read. It's got, you know, I want to say everything that you need to know, except we know everything keeps changing. But it, it really gives you complete information and processes. 49 pages, lots of stories, lots of examples, um, written exactly the way Linda has spoken uh, on here. So, you know, don't worry, no big lofty words that you have to look up anywhere. Um, so I highly encourage you to uh, to definitely buy a copy and read it. Um, Linda, why don't you tell them where they can get it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll so put the, it in the, we'll put it in all the postings that Kelly will put, you know, on social and everything like that. And in the e-guide, but in case... Cool. You want it sooner than that. Here we go. It's um, R-O-B-S-O-N. Robson, R-I-S- not Robson. S- yeah. <laughs> R-I-S-K-M-G-M-T dot com. That's the website. And you can purchase it from RobsonRiskManagement.com. So, but I shorten management to M-G-M-T. Um, and it's, so you can purchase it from there. And it's it's still downloadable, right? You still have it yes. electronic, right? Yeah. Yes, I I just I made the decision to make it an ebook only because I figured that that would be the easiest way for event professionals. They could read it on the go. They can download it themselves and print it off. Um, but I just thought it was more valuable as an ebook for event professionals than as a hard copy book. Yeah, and I think both are good. You know, I read it online, and then I was like, no, I have to have this printed because I knew I was going to write all over it. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I highly, uh, highly suggest you looking at it. Tracy, you said you ended up reading it today, too? I did, and I'm highlighted all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, you will do the same, I can almost guarantee you. It's it's great. Yeah, (laughs) Old habits don't. Wait, die hard? Yeah, old habits die hard. I'm yeah. sure I will be the same way. Get my highlighter out. I love it. Well, yeah. and I also that's also why I wanted to do an ebook because I am such a snob about books that I don't like to to do any like all of my textbooks from from my education have no highlighting in them because it's just like you don't do that. But if you've got an ebook, you can print it off a couple of times right on one and have a clean copy. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was at least in my uh, 40s before. $30? Okay, sounds good. Um, So I think we're going to wrap this for today, but this will be an ongoing conversation. And maybe, I hate to say this, but the reality is it's going to happen is if, if something comes up, in our, our lives, our world, the uh, meetings and events, I mean, there's always something happening, you know, we may, uh, that would be a good time for us to jump on and talk through not to criticize anyone at all. But like I said, when I read that article about the people who had the fire in Las Vegas, I mean, that's why everyone wants to read those follow-up articles. It's not just the pretty, how did you plan the Oscars? It's the how the hell did you get through those tornadoes? That says California. Or, you know, I knew a meeting planner last fall when the hurricanes went through and she had five meetings. She plans for a 
Florida Government Association. She had five meetings in the next like seven weeks as the hurricane was going through and wiping out whole towns. And she, she's like, well, I have a meeting next week, I believe. You know, like literally that's where she was on it. She couldn't. So, um, you know, we'll always try to bring real life examples into this. Um, I think it's an ongoing conversation. By all means, uh, connect with me if um, you see things you want us to include, because this is not a, a one and done conversation. I think a lot of ours need to not be one and done, like Brendan, who recently did the one on ADHD and anxiety. I mean, we don't know yet sometimes what we don't know. And like Linda brought up and and 9-11 changed a lot of perspectives on a lot of things. But you know, maybe one time we can even talk about the risk of having meetings in controversial areas. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave that one right now. Um, <laughs> a whole new set of headlines today while I'm doing it. And just so you have context for whenever you're listening to it, this is uh, third week of March in 2023. Um, so you, ha- I always try to give that so you have some context what we might be talking about and referring and, and everything like that. So, um, Linda, thank you very, very much. I'm so excited you agreed to uh, come on, and I just think we're going to have a a lot of good conversations about this. Tracy and Jamie, thanks for always jumping on and, you know, sharing your experience and asking good questions. And I see them, um, and if you're wondering how you could be a Jamie or Tracy, well, you can't, first of all. They're too awesome. You have to be awesome in your own way. Um, but, you know, if you ever want to be representing the people who come on, who serve, I, I want someone's voice other than mine and the guests to be on there. They are usually, quote, my CMPs. Somehow they studied with me along the way to prepare for their CMP. And they also belong to my online community for my CMPs. So just so you know, that's where they come from. And I post and I said, hey, we're going to do this. You know, are you interested in representing the community? Because I don't think I should be the only voice. And Kelly, thank you. You're always amazingly awesome. And she will be the one who figures out where I've stuck this on the drive and how to get it uh, functioning and up on Podbean and all the things. so you can actually find this to listen to. So um, thanks, Kelly, for everything. Steve left. That's a story in itself. But, you know, he went to... I wonder he's quiet back there. Yeah, he, he went to find a chihuahua. But that's beside the point. That's a whole other conversation. But thank you all very, very much for being with us today. And um, we there will definitely be a next time. So thanks so much. Take care.